Nobody wants his son uh, like this, right? New details about the 19-year-old gunned down in Abbotsford and why he doesn't fit the gangster profile. Lori Guerra resigns. The backlash on Autism BC is just, it's, it's heartbreaking for me. Her reaction to the controversy that became a major distraction. <sighs> and farewell, coach. What brought Wally Buono to tears at his final media conference? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New details tonight about the fatal shooting of a young man near an Abbotsford Elementary School. Family and friends of 19-year-old Jagveer Malhi are in shock tonight, telling Global News he had no ties to gangs and was never in trouble with police. Tanya Beja is live with more. Now, Tanya, despite what those who knew the victim were saying, investigators still believe this is linked to the ongoing gang conflict. That's right, Sophie. Although Jagveer Mali's relatives say he had no criminal past, no criminal ties, police say his shooting was not random. Friends and relatives of Jagveer Mali gather to mourn at his Abbotsford home. He was a good, good boy and he was a good player, basketball player. That's, that's what we, we never heard like bad about him. His family says the 19-year-old was studying criminology and hoped to become a corrections officer, telling Global News he was on his way to class at the University of the Fraser Valley Monday afternoon when he was shot and killed. Everybody was just in lockdown. It was pretty much everything was shut off here and we couldn't get out of our neighborhoods. When you hear about this close, and you got to start thinking about your own family. The shooting happened less than a block from an elementary school, leaving families shaken. I just want to know what is going to be done to help keep the area safe. My wife and I both decided to take our son out of school today or not let him go to tape because all I was going to be focused on was what was going on. The integrated homicide investigation team says the incident was not random and is linked to the ongoing gang conflict. It's the second fatal shooting in Abbotsford in less than a month. On October 18th, a man was targeted outside a bank on South Fraser Way. Residents growing increasingly frustrated with the brazen violence. When will it end? five years from now, 10 years from now, like, what is the process by which we can begin to look at a solution? This is not just Indo-Canadian community problem. This is everyone's problem. We have to work together. Otherwise, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be worse. All right, Tanya, I understand police are putting out an appeal for video. They are, Sophie. They're asking anybody who has uh, surveillance footage or dash cam video taken in this area of Simpson and Ross Roads yesterday afternoon to contact them. Sophie and Chris, back to you. Tanya Beja in Abbotsford. Thank you. There was also an earlier shooting yesterday in Surrey. RCMP investigating reports of shots fired between two vehicles. And while the city's new mayor is lobbying for a police force that replaces the RCMP, an expert in the field warns it will take longer and cost more than the new mayor expects. Sarah McDonald has that story. It was a pillar of Doug McCallum's platform in his quest to become mayor of Surrey once again. The first order is we will um, apply to the government to cancel the um, 
uh, RCMP and start our own police force. But that sweeping transition juggling hundreds of officers and public safety in a city already in the grips of gang violence likely won't be as simple as it sounds. There are a lot of resourcing issues that you would have to look at. There's policy issues. Uh, financial issues and all of those things. And few would know that better than Jim Sessford, Delta's long-serving former chief of police and one of several experts consulted on the matter. He says the transition can be done, though the process would be complex. It's going to take extreme communication between the RCMP, the province, um, the federal government, and the community as well. Sessford expects it would take twice as long to complete the transition than the initially proposed two-year timeline, and the cost to do so could be higher. There cannot be any lapse in policing. We need responsible um, police engagement. We need uh, responsible leadership from City Hall on this issue. The topic of policing is certainly polarizing, and opinions among McAllen's constituents are mixed. Any change is better than none. If they really want to do it, they could do it, but I just think it might take a lot of time and a lot of work. This online petition in support of maintaining Surrey's status quo, garnering hundreds of digital signatures. Currently, RCMP is doing a good work. I'm not sure if they should uh, move to another uh, system. Though notably absent from the conversation Tuesday was McCallum himself. Neither the mayor nor the province providing comment. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Well, Premier John Horgan is promising legislation to introduce ride hailing in the province is coming and that the service should be here by 2019. Keith Baldry joins us live in Victoria with the latest on this. And Keith, John Horgan has certainly faced a lot of pressure on this issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and talk about inching towards a conclusion here, Sophie. This uh, drama has been playing out for months now. Uh, Ridesharing was supposed to be up and running this year, or last year as a matter of fact, and still no sign that it's going to be up and running anytime soon. However, today the Premier again, with the legislature session set to end uh, over a week and a half uh, from now, that uh, the legislation will be in front of the House before the House rises. The Premier making that point again. He expects that uh, bill to pass because it has considerable support from all parties. Here's the Premier. It'll be in next week and uh, we'll be passing it before the House rises and then we'll go into the significant changes to our uh, insurance uh, packages for those who want to drive. Uh, there's going to be additional criminal records checks. We want to make sure that the playing field is level for those that are already in the, in the sector and those new entrants. Uh, a lot of work to do, but we're confident that we're well on our way and the legislation will set the table for that in, into the new year. All right, so not in time for this holiday season, no. uh, Keith, which is often an exercise in frustration for people mm -hmm. trying to get a taxi. There might, though, be a little relief this year. Yeah, because uh, first of all, there's the existing pro uh, 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 process where existing taxi companies can get what are called festive temporary operating permits between November 15th and January 15th. That's still in the books. That'll increase the number of taxis. But the other thing uh, is the fact there are a whole bunch of taxi applications, new ones being processed. And here's how they break down on the metro uh, large city bases. Vancouver, 129 new taxis potentially. Surrey, 65. North Vancouver, 29. Burnaby, 27. Coquitlam, 21. You start adding up all these numbers, Sophie, it is going to bring some relief to the current situation that uh, you have been obviously been pointing out on Twitter a number of times, the difficulty of getting taxis, particularly in downtown Vancouver. Another 129 added to the fleet should do some help. Whether they're up and running before Christmas is still not clear, though. We'll see what happens. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. In Vancouver today, an ambitious agenda at the first meeting for the newly elected mayor and council. No fewer than 10 motions on the table. And Grace Key explains what's on the list and the excitement to get going. 
Well, as you might expect for a first meeting, there were certainly some questions about procedure. Which staff was there ready to answer those questions? But certainly it is a packed agenda. Now, new council has 10 motions on notice, and that's everything from establishing an opioid emergency task force, a renter's office, a budget committee, and reconsidering the zoning amendments for duplexes. So they've got a lot on their plate, but new council and mayor saying they look forward to the work that's ahead. I was encouraged to see 10 member motions on the agenda. I think that this means that we have a group of councillors that really are passionate about the city of Vancouver and want to get down to work. So I look forward to debating and discussing those motions later on today as well as tomorrow when we hear from speakers. Lots of people want to speak. I mean, there's a lot of uh, pent-up energy through the election. We've had a major change here. So I would expect that we're going to have lots of people that want to uh, talk to these very important motions. And I'm looking forward to that discussion and then making decisions uh, after the uh, after we had those meetings. So new council did pass the first vote unanimously and that was a motion by Melissa DiGenova where the city will be asking the province for money to help deal with the opioid crisis. Chris and Sophie. All right, thanks Grace. BC developer Ryan Beatty is launching a $50 million education campaign on the occasion of his 50th birthday. Beatty promising the money will be handed out as post-secondary scholarships through a newly launched foundation that he's calling Beatty Luminaries. The goal is to help students who would otherwise struggle to afford continuing education. This is for promising students throughout British Columbia who need a leg up, who need support and encouragement and not only financial support but counseling, advisory. We're going to be with students for the long term. We're going to transform people's futures by giving them access to education that they may not otherwise have. The first phase will see 50 students from across the Lower Mainland receive grants next May of between fifteen dollars and $40,000. The program will eventually expand around the province. Interested students can check out beattyluminaries.ca for more information. The B.C. Wildfire Service is confirming to Global News today at this point, California has not requested their assistance in tackling the three major wildfires burning in that state. Nearly 9,000 firefighters are battling the trio of fires, the deadliest and costliest in California's history. Tonight, as a volcano of fire explodes in the hills outside Malibu, mandatory evacuations are underway. The orders to evacuate came immediately. I didn't think it was coming back this way, but it looks like it's going to head, I don't know. Police clearing a subdivision. Jennifer Principe had minutes to go. See, it's right there, so... It's getting closer. It's getting closer. With Santa Ana winds fueling dangerous new flare-ups today, crews on the ground desperately need help from above. Helicopters like these have been flying 24 hours a day looking for any body of water to make drops on that massive inferno. Today, Michelle Owings has no home to return to. It's to me like an apocalypse that God's on vacation and he's not taking care of us. With air quality already dangerous, tonight new concern over toxic smoke. The Woolsey fire scorched the Santa Susana field lab, a highly contaminated area where there was a nuclear meltdown 60 years ago. Footage captured by KNBC's iTeam yesterday shows smoke still rising from the power lines on the property. State officials say the fumes likely pose no health risk, but residents are demanding independent health and safety tests. In Northern California, where the death toll has now reached 42, 
families are living a nightmare in the town of Paradise, adding the names of the missing to a message board. I went to 11 different shelters looking for him. Amanda Melvin's father was feared dead until now. Thank God. One family's incredible reunion, while so many others are clinging to hope. A Surrey city councilor is in the middle of a firestorm over her stance on the SOGI 123 curriculum in schools. Sexual orientation and gender identity are controversial topics discussed recently at what some have described as a secret meeting attended by Lori Guerra. What she says about the meeting and the backlash it triggered in just over a minute. First, though, one of the directors of Autism BC has resigned under pressure for several days to step down. As Catherine Urquhart reports, her resignation comes after backlash from her attendance at a post-election victory party. I was judged and I was tarred and feathered and Autism BC has been slandered. An emotional Lori Guerra has just resigned as a director of Autism BC. This after the newly elected Surrey City Councillor spoke at a post-election event attended by anti-SOGI groups. I'm not anti-SOGI. I am not in favour of the SOGI 123 resource. And I have a right to my opinion. And many, many, many parents are of the same mindset. SOGI 123 is intended to help educators make schools inclusive and safe for students of all sexual orientations and gender identities. Guerra's lack of support for SOGI 123 prompted a petition calling for her resignation from Autism BC. I felt the organization that represents uh, kids on the spectrum uh, all of a sudden had a representative who spoke of hatred and it felt like a betrayal. To stand for one group but discriminate against the other group and not be willing to include them is just ironic. Parents that are saying you want inclusivity for your child but you don't want it for other children, what would you say to them? I'd say that the people that know me know that that would be absolutely not true at all and certainly not for Autism BC. Now that she's no longer with Autism BC, Guerra says she'll focus on her job as a Surrey City Councillor. Go Surrey, go Sky Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A Vancouver company has volunteered its services to clean up some shocking graffiti on a city church. Crews from Goodbye Graffiti were out in force today at St. Casimir's Polish Parish, washing away all evidence of the disturbing attack. Parishioners were stunned to find anti-Nazi and anti-fog graffiti on the church on Sunday morning, which was both Remembrance Day and the 100th anniversary of Polish independence. You mentioned that you're doing this for free. Yeah, we remove all hate-based graffiti in any of the markets we operate in across Canada. Why? It's just a way we can give back to the communities that support us. The company says while graffiti overall is increasing, Thankfully, they see very little of this type of hate-based vandalism. The city of Calgary is voting today in a special plebiscite that is of particular interest to us here in B.C. That's right. Calgarians are deciding whether their city should submit a bid for the 2026 Winter Games, some of which would probably be held in Whistler. Global Calgary's Adam McVicker has the latest on today's vote. Adam. 
Well, Chris Sophie, this is a non-binding plebiscite, and if Calgary votes no this evening, then that will mean they will not receive the proposed funding from the provincial nor the federal government, and then it will be up to City Council to then move forward and vote to terminate this bid process. But even if there is a yes vote, it doesn't necessarily mean a guarantee that a games bid would go forward. Mayor Nenshi says the yes vote will just allow the work to continue. Council will still have the right to pull out of this bid. No matter how the vote goes tonight, there's still a lot of work to be done moving forward. I think uh, if Calgarians say yes, we have a lot of work to do uh, in the coming months as we move to sign a host city contract. There are still significant negotiations underway. As I've discussed earlier, the deal needs to be a better deal. If Calgarians say, say that they want this, we have a lot of work to do. If it's a no today, um, I think we will make steps probably quite quickly to withdraw from this process. Now, what does this mean for BC? It's still very early in the process, but Whistler is being discussed to host some events in this 2026 bid. Bidco is looking to host ski jumping as well as cross-country skiing in Whistler. Now, talks are only preliminary. Two weeks ago, BC's Minister of Tourism said they still had not received a business plan from Calgary 2026. There's also concern here because the Whistler nor BC are slated to shoulder any of the cost of this bid. Now, this bid is expected to cost $5.2 billion, with more than half of the price tag covered by public funding. As of 6 p.m. local time, 207,000 votes cast in this plebiscite. We're expected to have the results around 10 p.m. local time. But, of course, for all the latest, you can head to globalnews.ca. Chris, Sophie? No doubt we'll have it on BC1, too. Thanks, Adam. Well, after running a year-long competition in which Vancouver was once vying to be chosen, Amazon officially announced the new locations of its second headquarters. That's right. It's going to be split between Long Island City in New York and Arlington, Virginia. But you might be surprised to learn that not everyone's happy Amazon is coming to town. I'm proud. Tonight, the celebrations have begun. Amazon has found its next home. After a much-hyped competition taking bids from 238 cities, Amazon announcing its second headquarters will now be split between the Washington suburb of Arlington, Virginia, and Long Island City in Queens, New York. Each location promised 25,000 jobs. I think it's awesome. But now critics are questioning whether the cities are giving up too much. The tech giant led by Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, will receive more than $1.5 billion in corporate subsidies in New York and more than half a billion dollars worth in Virginia. New York Congresswoman-elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeting... The idea that it will receive hundreds of millions of dollars in tax breaks at a time when our subway is crumbling and our communities need more investment, not less, is extremely concerning. It's already expensive here. There are critics who do not like that Amazon is getting $2 billion in corporate subsidies here because you're one of the most valuable companies in the world. What do you say to that? The kind of revenue that these cities and states will see because of Amazon's investment um, will exponentially uh, exceed the investments they're making up front. Amazon primed to start hiring next year. Joe Link Kent, NBC News. Rescuers in the southern Israeli city of Ashkelon work in appalling conditions, pulling away rubble, finally uncovering the face of a woman buried in the debris. This was one of the buildings hit by missiles fired from Gaza militants yesterday. 
the woman was critically injured. No word on her condition now. Some explosive allegations against Boeing tonight in the wake of last month's deadly crash of a nearly brand new 737 MAX 8 jet in Indonesia. Pilots who fly the jet in the U.S. say they weren't trained in new features of an anti-stall system. That's the focus of the crash investigation. Tonight, top aviation experts say the Lion Air pilots may not have understood why their new 737 MAX was suddenly in a nosedive or how to get out of it. Investigators believe the plane's sensors or its computers had bad data suggesting a potential stall. But many veteran pilots didn't know the 737 MAX computers can force the nose down to avoid a stall even when pilots are flying manually. Boeing's operator's manual does not highlight the change. You're upset because Boeing didn't inform the pilots. Right. We were, we, that information was not disclosed to our company or our pilots that that system existed. Now, Southwest, United, and American Airlines and their pilots' unions are issuing urgent bulletins to get the word out. There is a fix. Simply flipping a switch should have turned the automatic system off. As you can see, it stopped a trim. But not knowing the problem, the Lion Air pilots appear to have continued fighting to pull the nose up. Literally, in a matter of seconds, I'm in a nosedive. Airplane is basically out of control. Boeing says it's working to fully understand all aspects of this incident, and it's confident in the safety of the 737 MAX. Meanwhile, pilots are warning each other how to recover from a potentially hidden danger. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. More shocking details are being released about the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi embassy in Turkey. Today, the Turkish government released what it says are x-rays of the luggage of the Saudi team that's alleged to have killed Khashoggi. The images show what appear to be syringes, walkie-talkies, and scissors. Turkey calls it a torture kit. Meantime, the head of the Turkish investigation, who has listened to the audio recordings of the murder, says Khashoggi's last words were, I'm suffocating, take this bag off my head, I'm claustrophobic. The officials say the killing lasted about seven minutes. The Turkish government also says after the murder, a member of the kill team instructed a superior over the phone to, quote, tell your boss the job was done. That boss is believed to be Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau confirmed that Canadian intelligence officials had also heard the recordings of the murder. A somber anniversary in France today, three years since the deadly Paris terror attacks. Multicolored balloons were released in honor of the 130 people who were killed. A minute of silence was held at the Bataclan concert hall, where gunmen opened fire on the crowd during a rock concert in 2015. Terrorists also set off a suicide bomb at a sports stadium and attacked a string of bars and cafes. Yet another unprecedented development tonight in the ongoing battle between Donald Trump and the media. CNN is suing the White House. The lawsuit stems from last week's news conference, during which CNN correspondent Jim Acosta refused to give up a microphone during a testy exchange with President Trump. The next day, the White House stripped Acosta of his press credentials. CNN is demanding the credentials be reinstated, saying their revocation violates freedom of the press. The lawsuit is backed by the White House Correspondents Association. Well, royal fans are abuzz tonight over two new family portraits marking a milestone birthday. 
The picture is released today to mark the 70th birthday of Prince Charles tomorrow. The family portrait has Charles with Prince George on his knee, along with his sons, daughters-in-law, and the rest of his grandchildren. A second picture shows the group laughing with Camilla's arm around Princess Charlotte. Royal watchers also can't help but notice Harry's hand on Meghan's hip. Another subdued yet rare public display of affection for a royal couple. The pictures were taken in September, so Meghan shows no hint of a baby bump in this picture. So scandalous. It is, isn't it? <laughs> in Health Matters tonight, a warning from the Center for Disease Control about a cheese that has been linked to an E. coli outbreak. Five people in B.C. have fallen ill after consuming Little Qualicum Cheeseworks Spice Cheese. The product is unpasteurized, and the company has voluntarily recalled it following the outbreak. This is a cheese that's made over on Vancouver Island and distributed throughout the province. But you're right, you can purchase this at a variety of restaurants, farmers markets, retailers, as well as from Little Qualicum cheese directly. Any Little Qualicum, Qualicum spice cheese, you should discard of it right now. So if you have any of that in your house, regardless of the best before date, we're recommending that you discard of that product. Yet another study tonight is raising more questions about the safety of soccer. This time, the study's being done in B.C., as Linda Aylesworth reports, UBC Okanagan researchers say they've discovered exactly what's being damaged when players head the ball. Oh, it took a while, but we now recognize that hits like this Watch Crosby there. and this can cause brain damage, in some cases permanent. But what about this, a soccer header? Very little is understood about the potential damage of headers. There is some evidence of decline or disruption in function. So Professor Van Donkelaar recruited members of the UBC Okanagan soccer team to help him conduct a study. We asked them to head the ball 40 times over the course of 20 minutes and then prior to that session of soccer heading and after we drew blood. The blood samples were tested for biomarkers that reveal the impact on nerve fibers called axons. Axons grow out of nerve cells and transmit signals to the rest of the brain. The main finding was that one of the biomarkers in the blood called neurofilament light was increased after a bout of soccer heading. So the higher it gets, the more the axons are damaged. While the headers did not result in concussions, they did cause concussion-like symptoms. But a few weeks later, the brain seemed to return to normal. So why should we care? Any head impact, whether it leads to a concussion diagnosis or not, is going to do some damage to your brain. And so if you do it a lot, then you might expect some longer-term deficits. That concern led U.S. youth soccer to ban headers among players younger than 11. And there are calls for similar bans in other countries. More studies are clearly needed. The bigger question is what sort of changes occur in, in the more natural setting of actually you know, practicing and playing soccer games and what are the longer-term impacts of those head impacts over time. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Now, in other health news, the BC Children's Hospital Foundation has gone online with a winter theme to launch its holiday fundraising campaign. <laughs> Looks like fun, doesn't it? The foundation kicking off what's billed as the largest virtual snowball fight in the province to raise funds for critical needs at the hospital. The foundation wants to have 10,000 virtual snowballs thrown online with each snowball representing a donation. You can get more information on the mm -hmm. foundation's website.
Not quite as fun as throwing real snowballs, but, but still fun. Also not as cold. Also not as cold. That's <laughs> right. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, even for New York police who've seen it all, this was a rather unusual call out. A 46-year-old elephant named Frida decided to go for a walk after one of the workers at the Sanctuary of Animals forgot to turn on her electric fence. She was found in the community of Westtown and taken back home. Frida was rescued from Vietnam decades ago after being burned by napalm during the war. Much better life at the animal sanctuary now, for sure. Well, a surprising sight on a bridge in Russia. Why these people went to all the trouble of disguising themselves as a bus right after the forecast. Points for trying. You've got to... Desperate times call for desperate measures <laughs> in Russia. Okay. <laughs> all right. Meteorologist uh, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at the weather forecast. We're hearing that it's causing all sorts of chaos for the community. Yes. The rain is back, yes, and it's here for the next couple of days, uh, that's for sure. So uh, we're going to talk about how long it's going to last and how much we're expecting. First, though, a nice shot from Kamloops, thanks to Thomas for that one. This is in the morning with the sun coming through just a slice in the clouds, and it's creating this searing light up against the mountains there. Almost looks like a forest fire. We're so lucky that we're not dealing with anything. But the Kamloops area and many parts of the province tonight and tomorrow morning have a risk of freezing rain. We've had really cold air in entrenched across the province and that's staying put at lower elevations and now what we're going to see is warm air move in and the rain drops through that cold air and freezes on impact. So these are the areas we're concerned about. It's from Prince George all the way down Highway 97 into Kamloops and then extending along the Coquihalla through to Merritt and then extending partway down into uh, the Hope area as well. So the entire part of the Coquihalla from Hope to Kamloops has that potential. And then we'll see the rain ease off or the freezing rain ease off in the afternoon. So it really is just overnight and tomorrow morning but we still do have a chance of flurries in a few areas. And yes, another wave pushes on shore and we're back into snow. So certainly higher elevations expecting snow over the next little while. Here's that highway forecast. Coquihalla could see up to 15 centimeters. The bulk of this will happen tonight and through the morning hours tomorrow. Rogers Pass included in that and it has a risk of freezing rain. Hope Princeton, Kootenai Pass up to 10 and the connector about 4 centimeters and it means rainfall all across the south coast, so we'll see anywhere from about 20 to 40 millimeters of rain in the next 36 hours. The bulk of that, again, overnight tonight and early tomorrow morning. So if you're up late tomorrow, you may miss the rain. Conditions are going to ease off. There's your forecast for the north. So mainly uh, rain across the coastal regions, further inland from Smithers down through Prince George, all the way down into Revelstoke, Castlegard, Nelson included in that, and Kelowna. You'll start off as snow or wet snow, maybe a couple of centimeters before it changes over to rain and then eases off. South coast rainfall tonight and tomorrow morning, mostly just a chance of showers for the latter part of the day tomorrow. But then that next wave pushes in Thursday. And yes, it's going to be wet again. But we clear out just in time for the weekend. And I'll leave you with a spectacular shot. Rob took this uh, just French Beach, which is just up a highway 14 north of Souk. That's a nice beautiful sunset shot. shot. Yeah, a great spot. Thank Thanks, you, Christy. Caught on video in the Russian city of Vladivostok, busted for a unique solution to a problem. A local bridge doesn't allow pedestrians, even though it's the shortest way into the city center. So four men figured this would do the trick. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> so they disguised themselves as a big yellow bus, presumably thinking they would fool the surveillance cameras, but uh, no. The security spotted them and ordered them to turn around and drive back the way they came. The woman who shot this video wanted security to let them go. She called their bus beautiful and art. Like she has a point. <laughs> Is that kind of the equivalent of having a mannequin so you can drive in the HOV lane? I think yeah. it's, the same. Yeah, exactly. it's the Russian version of that. <laughs> hey, check this out too, because this is weird video we've had a look at, and maybe you can figure out what's happening here. A Kamloops man captured something very strange and so far unexplainable over the skies of his city. UFO. Harpreet Singh sent this video to CFJC News in Kamloops after he shot it over his workplace just west of the city. Singh says, you got to look closely, Singh says the disc-shaped object moved very quickly and when he noticed it was something strange, he started recording. He says he's hesitant to call it a UFO, but he doesn't know how else to describe it. Just hold this shot for a sec. It was there, I saw it. Yeah, there it's it called, is. Where is it? There. Let's see it again. Up near the power line, like if you look up, sort of past the power lines, there you see the dark shape know. that. Looks what like do you think some, it was? It looks like something just floating. You know, in there the were some. To there, me. there were some comments on the CFJC website afterwards that it looks like a murmuration of birds, which I tend to agree with. Right. That's when you get all the thousands like of birds mm -hmm. and they fly around and they and can And you're look. a man who knows his murmurations. I do know my yeah. murmurations. So. Now we all know a new word. <laughs> that I know, like I didn't the, even know that word. It seems like the most logical explanation, yeah. but so yeah. far nobody's officially said what it could be. Yeah. Hi, Squire. How are you? Good. I mean, it'd be nice if it was aliens. Well, <laughs> no, it would not be nice. If they were nice aliens. Yeah, if exactly. they were nice aliens. Exactly. If they came to show us, you know, some newfangled technology and then left quietly. Right. Next. I don't know. Proof proof tonight, tough guys cry. I mean, I've always I've already <laughs> kind of proven that here on the show a couple of times, but uh, That's why I'm here to stop the tears. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wally Buono's final day. Yeah, as coach. I know it was uh, it was sad enough on Sunday the way the game ended, but today was mm -hmm. uh, a little harder hit for Wally. Um, and last Sunday really doesn't matter when people talk about Wally Buono's legacy in Canadian football. They won't remember the final game in Hamilton. They'll remember that he won more games than any other coach in history. They'll remember he won Grey Cups as both a player with the Alouettes and as a coach with the Stamps and the Lions. He loved the game, and those in the game loved him back. But now it is all over. He is retired. So how does he see his legacy? Jay asked him that question, and it brought Wally to tears. Yeah. I know, uh, but you know, and, and the answer you won't expect to get here. It's uh, it's uh, why me? So yeah, so. That's really all I can say. Did you feel blessed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I've been blessed, guys. Like I say, God's been good to me, and I keep asking him why me.
Now, today's press conference at Lions headquarters wasn't just a farewell to Wally Buono. It was a chance for the new regime. Well, I guess he's been here a year, but now it really is Ed Hervey and the Lions to start thinking about the future because, like the Vancouver Whitecaps, this is going to be a winter of many changes for B.C. Fifteen years after Wally Buono was brought in by the late Bob Ackles, the B.C. Lions are about to make another major change. And this time, Wally will have nothing to do with it. And that's the way he wants it. I will not be the voice of this team anymore. Uh, really, after today, I don't believe I should be talking anymore. It's now Ed Hervey's team. And the locker room? Well, that'll be run by a coach to be named later. But a coach who, despite that Hamilton headache on Sunday, will, according to the GM, inherit a team that has a future. I believe that the, the foundation, as far as building and recognizing that there are men in that room that we can move forward with, and recognizing that there are guys that, because of the way we lost and because of this season, um, will understand what it takes during the offseason. And as we proceed moving forward, uh, we'll bring more to the table next year. No one is sure how many 2018 Lions will be back in 2019. Quarterbacking is a huge question with Hervey likely to talk to Eskimos QB Mike Riley when he becomes a free agent. In fact, it's free agency where the BC Lions will do a lot of their rebuilding. I can't really talk about free agents until that time comes, but I can assure you that uh, when free agency comes and we look at the list, we will be extremely aggressive. Meaning a lot of these lockers will have different names on them next year. All right, Canucks in Brooklyn. Ladies and gentlemen, Elias Pedersen, or Elias, I always want to say Elias. Elias Pedersen, only one assist in his last four games, if you count tonight's game. Uh, first goal, Brendan likes it. Nice pass from uh, Horvat the Leipzig, and that made it 1-0 for the Canucks. They lost to the Rangers last night, 2-1. This is one weird goal. Tom Kuhnhockel falling down, and somehow it sneaks through on Jacob Markstrom, making his ninth start in a row. Perhaps he's a bit tired. That's not going to help his save percentage, which is 29th best in the NHL coming into this one. Still first period. That one is in off Chris Tanev. Two goals will go in off skates for the Islanders in this one. Josh Bailey gets it. It's 2-1 New York. Then another one. Is anybody covering, covering Jordan Eberle? 3-1. This looks like last year. Left in the power play. Leipzig. You know who has been playing very well so far this year? Jake Vertanen. He's improving. That's his eighth of the year on the power play. Leipzig, the assist. It's 3-2 after two. Look at this. Should this have been a goal? Tom Kuhnhockel again. Is this a deliberate kicking motion? Uh, kind of looks like it. Doesn't get his stick on it. They look at it. The referee goes. And did you lead Lipster? Yes. And what did he say? He said, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> Four two. Nice pass by Matt Barzell. Right to Cal Clutterbuck. Five two. The final Thursday in Minnesota. They will officially announce the 2019 BC Sports Hall of Fame inductees tomorrow morning, 11:30 our time. I cannot tell you who's in yet, but I hear things. I hear things. 
Some heavy-handed pruning at a West Kelowna mall is getting attention tonight, and you really have to see it to believe it. The parking lot now looks barren and has many wondering if the trees will ever come back. This is all that's left of one of the trees at the Okanagan Lake Shopping Center. A trunk and a few inches of branches. That's it. And it's not just one tree. There's not much left of about 50 of the trees that line the boulevards at the West Kelowna Retail Plaza. It looks horrible. Some shoppers stunned by the heavy-handed, recent radical pruning of the mall's greenery. They've cut it down right to nothing. I know, it's so sad. Why would you take something that's so nice and green and just ruin it? James Campbell witnessed the chainsaw chopping firsthand. I was watching them doing it when they did it, and I was like, wow, I couldn't believe that they were doing what they were doing because clearly they had no clue. Most everyone we talked to today at the mall thought the pruning was done by someone who was all thumbs and not one of them green. They were such pretty trees. Yeah, they, I don't know why they needed pruning. Still, these are the Okanagan Lake Shopping Center's trees and it's their prerogative to do whatever they want with them. But as an avid gardener, Melba Reed laments the loss of the tree's natural beauty. They were really a nice height, nice canopy. Pretty leaves, and uh, they made the place look good. Now it's barren. We did contact the property management group to try and find out why such a drastic pruning was needed. These are huge cuts for one little tree to heal at once. But when reached, the Churchill International Property Corporation refused comment. Travis Lowe, Global News, West Kelowna. Okay, I'm not a gardener or an arborist, but like, it, That's you're not supposed to cut them that. It looks wrong, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. I, like, I feel like either. I've had this conversation at home a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> Pump really? the brakes on the chainsaw yeah. a little bit there, Paul. Lay Is off that... the cutting, Paul. <laughs> and when you ask him about it, he say no comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have no comment about what oh, happened. Oh, that's too bad. Well, thanks very much for watching tonight, folks. Hope you have a great evening, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Good night.